0: Thailand is the second largest supplier of imported seafood to the United States. Increasingly, forced labor is being used to catch the sardines, mackerel, squid, snapper, and cuttlefish that make it to our dinner tables. Joining me now from Bangkok to look at the conditions aboard these fishing trawlers is Patrick Wynn, senior Southeast Asia correspondent for Global Post. He's written a series called "Seafood Slavery," and I'm very pleased that it brings him to our show today for our underreported segment. Hello.
1: Thanks for having me, Leonard.
0: Do we know how many people are thought to be working under these conditions?
1: That is uh, sort of the $64 million question, and even the big entities that acknowledge that this is a major problem, such as the U.S. State Department and the U.N. and dozens of NGOs, if they're being honest, they'll tell you they don't have an exact answer to that question. But a very common estimate is thousands, and uh, no one really has... A better answer than that unfortunately.
0: Is this happening mostly in Thailand or throughout Southeast Asia?
1: Well uh, I can say that it's happening on Thai trawlers who are all over Southeast Asia and beyond. Uh, as this whole region is overfished, uh, Thai trawlers have pushed into increasingly distant waters, um, some all the way to Somalia, but mainly in, in Southeast Asia. So Thailand is, uh, you know, the preeminent fishing power in these parts, second only to China, and it's on these Thai-owned and Thai-captained vessels in which the slavery is taking place. Well, has
0: slave labor always been a part of the fishing industry in Thailand, or is this something that has been happening as Thai fishing grounds become depleted?
1: Well, it's actually a different uh, economic phenomenon. in the 90s, you know, Thailand became uh, a, a more affluent country, uh, especially compared to its neighbors. And um, these jobs used to be filled by Thai people who were poor uh, and from the up country. But you know, as, as conditions improved, uh, these guys said, "You know, I don't want to be on a stinking trawler, far from my family and far from home." So uh, they, they they moved into other jobs, driving taxis or even just working at 7-Eleven. So that created this huge uh, labor vacuum, and that has been filled by men from Myanmar and Cambodia, these countries that are flanking Thailand. And uh, these countries uh, have plenty of desperate, poor men who are easily duped into coming and, uh, and working on these vessels under very extreme conditions.
0: Well, you call it seafood slavery, but uh, is this really more like indentured servitude?
1: Uh, it- yeah, and there are varying degrees. But I think anyone who has been tricked into the situation, you know, they think they're gonna go work on a farm or on construction and they're on a boat instead, um, where quitting is not an option and if they try to quit, uh, they are killed or are threatened with death and they're not paid a cent and uh they're discharged or they escape without making any money. Uh those those are conditions I think that can be fairly described as, as slavery, but some of these guys are working in conditions where they don't, uh, they're do not they not quite yet aware that they're slaves. The promise of money paid to them maybe in a year is held over their head, and at some point they realize that uh, the money is never coming.
0: Hey, you're right about a man you call Soka. What happened to him, and what kind of job did he think he was getting?
1: Soka is a Cambodian guy from an extremely poor province in uh, Cambodia, and like so many other guys uh, that get sucked into this, uh, he thought he was going to make a couple hundred bucks working on a farm or working construction uh, in Thailand. So uh, that turned out not to be the case. Uh, he, he came to Thailand and uh, was locked in a room, and he came with his teenage son, who was 16 at the time, and two young nephews, locked in a room uh there were guys outside guarding it at all times uh he was eventually shuttled to a vessel and said uh yeah you're not working in a fish cannery or a factory or farm you're going on this uh trawler and uh he uh he wasn't able to escape for for some time
0: it sounds like the kind of story we hear about people who are forced into sexual slavery in the end uh they all are recruited uh, with, uh, with promises that uh, turn out not to be true.
1: Well, there is, yeah, and there is a certain uniqueness to this phenomenon because it's happening in this total abyss. I mean, at least with, um, at least with brothels, you can do spot checks or police raids because it's happening on a street somewhere. But you know, unless you have the political will to send out uh, marine police and do spot checks and make sure there's no slavery happening on these boats into, you know, really distant waters, uh, you know, it it will continue. So I think it's actually much more difficult to escape this situation uh, than it is even a brothel, which can be very difficult to escape if you're in in a sexual slavery situation.
0: Well, aren't there laws against this in Thailand?
1: There are, and after 2008, uh, the laws were strengthened. And, uh, you know, if if you read my series, you might develop a very negative attitude of Thailand's willingness to confront this problem. The the reality is, like so many governments in the developing world, there are pockets of do-gooders, and then there are forces that cannot be overcome, such as uh, the willingness of police to do their job, the willingness of Marine police to actually confront this problem. So... Uh, there are people that are working to solve this problem, but uh, they're not even really coming close at this point. And it's really coming to a head, especially with U.S. relations. Um, it's quite likely, not certain, but quite likely that in June, when the United States' next human trafficking report comes out, that Thailand will be bumped down to the lowest ranking you know, in the company of uh, Saudi Arabia or African dictatorships. And that could prove... Extremely embarrassing.
0: Well, approximately two and a half billion dollars worth of seafood came from Thailand into the United States last year, and I'm sure billions more went to other parts of the world. If it's such a huge industry, is there much incentive for Thai officials to enforce these laws?
1: Well, uh, that incentive will have to come from embarrassment, I'm afraid. There is not. I'm afraid there's not a huge outcry within Thailand. Stop this problem. It's seen mostly as something that happens to foreigners or migrants, and, and really it, it is something that's mostly happening to them. Uh, the the you know Thai Ministry of Foreign Affairs takes very seriously what the U.S. thinks of it. Thailand is one of the oldest Asian allies of the United States, and the United States has huge sway over Thailand. Um, you know, as I said, if they are bumped down to that lowest human trafficking ranking, they might be embarrassed into tackling the problem but it's going to take uh, a lot more staff Um, it's going to take a total shift in mentality Uh, it it will not be easy to to fix even if uh, there is that political will
0: my guest on today's underreported segment is Patrick Wynn senior Southeast Asia correspondent for Global Post he's written a series called seafood slavery what kinds of conditions are there on these trawlers There are parts of your report that sound like they're out of the 19th century with captains threatening to kill people, terrible conditions, 20-hour workdays, people being traded from boat to boat. Uh, Just because these people are so vulnerable, uh, this can happen to them?
1: Yes, and it's uh, it's not just the fact that they're out there in the middle of the ocean where no one's watching. Um, It's a language issue and it's a class issue. Uh, The men that control these these boats are Thai captains and Thai crew bosses. Uh, They have difficulty communicating with these guys, so if they want them to do something, um, beating may be the way they get their point across. these guys are very disposable you know there's more coming all the time so if they get enraged or if someone tries to stand up to the captain they can be disposed of in in very grisly ways well, you, you write uh, you
0: know, of a you write of a captain who killed his crew rather than to have to pay them wages
1: Well, after you start to talk to a number of these guys, and I interviewed about seven or eight, and talked to many human trafficking experts that had interviewed and spoken with many more, you start to see a pattern emerge. Um, About half of the guys I spoke to had witnessed a killing. Um, There's another UN report where it's about 60 guys, and about half of them had witnessed a killing. So uh, I think it's fair to say that murder is is common.
0: Now, are these people working primarily in the trawlers or are they found elsewhere in the fishery process as well?
1: Well, actually, the, I, I want to make an important caveat because uh, you might have listeners that are going to run to their cupboard or fridge and see any seafood that's made in Thailand and freak out. The, the two largest uh, exports from Thailand to the U.S. when it comes to seafood are tuna and shrimp. Shrimp is mostly farmed, uh, shrimp is farmed on land and that is abuses in that industry, but they are subject to spot checks, and it's not nearly as rampant. Tuna, if it says made in Thailand, was probably fished from somewhere else, imported into Thailand, processed using cheap labor, and then sent over to the U.S. or, or some other country. So we're not talking about these two principal seafood imports into the U.S. Um, that leaves a lot of other fish, though, uh, sardines, cuttlefish, mackerel, processed fish cakes, fish sauce, and uh, even pet food, which is uh, uh, partly supplied by these tiny or very bad-tasting fish that these guys might catch and uh, turn into what's called fish meal.
0: So it's almost impossible to know whether that pet food actually was caught uh, in the waters off Thailand or uh, Southeast Asia, uh, caught on trawlers that uh, are forcing people into slavery. Uh, are the owners of the canneries even aware of how the fish that they're processing are caught?
1: The way that it's set up gives them uh, plausible deniability. Now, of course, they're aware of it. I mean, the U.N., the U.S., uh, any fisherman that you find uh, on, the, on the docks in Thailand is aware that this is how things work. Um, but the fish that's caught by slaves goes through so many uh, steps that are just totally off the grid and not police. That by the time it makes its way to the cannery, um, the factory owner can say, well, I don't know about any slave-caught fish, and you can't prove it. And to a large degree, he's right. You can't prove it. Um, To some, that may be an acceptable answer. uh, If you think uh, that the the onus is on that factory owner, who is certainly aware of these conditions, to prove that he can track where his fish came from, the, then it's his fault. But uh, as it stands, they, there's just so many steps that, that disconnect them from the, the really nasty abuses that happen out in the middle of the ocean.
0: Because the trawlers then bring the fish to mother ships, uh, larger ships, which then bring them to the market.
1: That is correct. Yeah, it's even actually a bit more complicated. Yeah, the, these uh, ships that are unregistered will dump fish to a, uh, off onto a mothership, which is this huge hulking vessel that resupplies these, these distant deep-water ships with food, fuel, um, even new laborers. So the fish goes onto the mothership. The mothership comes back ashore. The, the, the fish then goes onto—it's uh, it, sold to a broker, like a fishmonger and he's mixing it in with all the other boats that he deals with, and he, he doesn't really know where it's coming from and doesn't really want to know. Right. Uh, then he's selling it to the factory, and that's the first place where you can actually trace back the food you buy to, uh, to its origins.
0: Your report is the result of a three-month investigation. How did you locate these former slaves?
1: Well, it's, it's, uh, it's not all that easy. Um, you know, I'm certainly not the first to report on this. Um, it's a phenomenon that, for um, about 10 years, maybe maybe longer. Um, the UN supports some of these guys if they can fall into uh, into care of the UN, then they are tracked and um, uh, taken back to their country. Uh, other guys have just been contacted by uh, Thai NGOs that typically aren't en- English speaking, but they have better connections than the international agencies with what's happening on the ground so um, if you poke around long enough and you're patient enough uh, you can uh, you can find these guys
0: well how do they typically escape uh, and when they escape uh, are the police cooperative
1: the police are not uh, at all cooperative usually uh, one of the more memorable escape stories uh involves um, uh, actually two involved captain to drink heavily and uh, anchored within sight of land or an island. I mean, these are very rare circumstances. Usually these guys don't see land for for many months. So they took advantage of these opportunities and jumped ship and, uh, you know, prayed that the the, the captain wouldn't find them. Um, Once someone does escape and they reach the shore, I mean, they're filthy, they smell, they can't speak the language, they can't read the signs. Uh, they approach police, uh, if, if they dare, but, you know, most migrants to Thailand know that if they approach police, they're not going to be treated very well. Um, the police sent back. uh, Well, one guy told me that he was just outright ignored. He Mm -hmm. tried to turn himself into the police to get sent back and he was ignored. I mean, he has no money and he has sort of no value to the police officer. I don't know how often that happens, but, uh, Every, every escaped slave I spoke to was fearful of Thai police, and some had had interactions with Thai police that were fairly negative.
0: We have a link to Patrick Wynn's Global Post series called Seafood Slavery on our show page at WNYC.org. Patrick, thank you so much for talking with us.
1: Thank you, Leonard. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> We'll